All right, live from Studio 6B, get a week started Monday night on Unreal America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Gang's all here, Paul Nolan back after a Friday off. Boy, you missed the show on Friday. We had Harry Oates was in the studio, really? and we Harry had the phone. Here? The phones were open. Wow, how'd that go? <laughs> it didn't go well for Harry. <laughs> did no, Harry I mean, pick up the phone the right side up? Yeah, no, he did. It went. He just couldn't keep up with the call. So, and I, of course, kept pressing the matter. <laughs> call now, call now. <laughs> you bastard. So, uh, Harry, uh, Harry was a little tired when he left Friday night. Rick Delgado's here. How was your weekend? It was good. Okay. Definitely. How about yours? It was good. Thank you. Uh, and Rick Emirati's here with sports. Mr. Emirati, what's going on in sports? So who won the big golf tournament yesterday? Yeah, the big golf tournament. We're going to get to that report in a little while, Big D, but that was an unbelievable match. And, uh, you know, we uh, it was just a crazy weekend all in all with sports. I mean, just absolutely. Between tennis and all, it was absolutely unbelievable. But Max Homa won the uh the Invitational in uh, Palisades. Correct. He went to, I believe, a playoff with, um, what's his name there? Or uh, Tony Finau. Tony yep. Finau, yes. Yep. And I saw that Homer was um, in about fifth or sixth place when the day started because yeah. your guy who had led all three rounds. So Rick's picked up on a uh, thing here. Whoever leads Thursday, Friday, usually is not making it, hasn't won a tournament yet, I think, this year. Yep. First round, second round leader has not won. Well, this guy came close. Yeah, Sam Burns had a rough day. He uh, shot sixty, shot a 69, which is still two under, but it really hurt him. And, uh, you know, he's averaging 63, 64 every day. Yeah. So uh, how was your weekend, Rick? It was fantastic. A lot of espresso martinis and uh, helped me stay awake for that unbelievable Osaka and Brady match. Unbelievable okay. because I was disappointed. I thought it was going to be a lot better. Okay. Very good. So we'll get to all that in sports. Lots to talk about in the news. Um, I'll sum up. Well, I can sum up the America. I mean, I don't know where to even start. There's so much to start with. I guess I'll start. You know, I, we've got a we've got a problem in this country, and uh, the Merrick Garland thing. I mean, we've got many problems, but yes, the Merrick Garland thing kind of fits into it um, in some way as well. But let's just start with the Supreme Court because this is becoming. You know, we joke all the time that we're two conservative justices away from a Supreme Court, no matter how many we seem to get. And it's, and it's true again today. Um, three of nine, three of nine justices today basically decided that they um, have some respect for the rule of law, some respect for the Constitution, and some respect for you. Three of the nine. Three of the nine. The, the Chief Justice certainly doesn't. And unfortunately, Kavanaugh and the great Amy Coney Barrett threw in with the Chief Justice here on not hearing the two cases out of Pennsylvania. And then to make matters worse, the Supreme Court has decided to set a new precedent that anybody's tax returns, former official, former president, is fair game for any rogue district attorneys anywhere in the country. So that's secondary. We'll get to that. But let's start on the two cases from Pennsylvania, which we've discussed at, on this show probably at nauseum to the point where people know the facts as well as we know the facts. We've talked about it so much in Pennsylvania. But you have to, you know, you just have to wonder if you can't rely on the Supreme Court to uphold the Constitution, clear violations of it. And I mean, to a non-constitutional scholar, <laughs> and that's understating it <laughs> myself, uh, clear violations that even I can understand when explained to me. 
I mean, you have to just shake your head at the, at the Supreme Court and specifically Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, who, you know, you go to war for these people, conservatives, when they're brought and they come under vicious attack. Who will ever forget Brett Kavanaugh's wife sitting off his shoulder there with that look as he's being viciously attacked and accused and, try, and they try to ruin him, his family, his wife, his kids, every, just and they tried to in, cut him off at the knees. Amy Coney Barrett, not as much, but still vicious attacks on her, her family, the makeup of her family. And here they are. Here they are, thrown in with the Chief Justice. Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, and Neil Gorsuch. Three, the three justices today who decided that the Constitution, the federal Constitution and the state Constitution of Pennsylvania had been violated in this past election, which clearly it has been. Clearly it has been. And the case that Mike Kelly brought in Pennsylvania, we've been over. Um, And the Supreme Court's decision today to decline to hear these cases is just, it's really stunning. It's stunning when you look at at the fact pattern and what's laid out in these cases that they wouldn't hear it. Um, Red State, our guy Shipwreck Crew, says the following. The Supreme Court denied, reviewed today, to two cases filed in connection with the presidential vote in Pennsylvania. The first case was filed by both the Trump campaign and the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, challenging the decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court that made changes to the election laws in Pennsylvania. And it would be the, it would be the um, governor, it would be the, all the election officials, it would be um, the, uh, all, all the state election officials, the rogue Supreme Court, the governor, the... Um, Attorney General, all of them, in changing election law in Pennsylvania. We've been through the state constitution, what it takes. We've been through the omnibus bill, this Act 77 that this was pushed through. Never went to the people for a vote. We've been through all of it. Uh, The most controversial change allowed the counting of mail-in ballots received up to three days after Election Day. The election statute, which, of course, Article 2, Section one clause three or four, whatever it's been. Again, we've been through it so many times. Of course, says state legislatures who make election law in these states. And they're the only ones who can change it. Um, the election statute has a cutoff of 8 p.m. on election night. So long as the ballot envelope was postmarked on or before election day, ballot envelopes with no postmark or with an ineligible postmark were presumed to have been mailed prior to election day. The second case was filed by GOP Congressman Mike Kelly, challenging the adoption by the Pennsylvania legislature of no-excuse absentee balloting as a violation of the Pennsylvania state constitution on the basis that in-person voting is mandated by the state's constitution and the expansion of the absentee voting provisions required an amendment to the state constitution. The process followed by the legislature in passing the legislation did not satisfy the requirements for adopting such an amendment. Justice Thomas wrote a statement dissenting, which was just can't say enough about can't say enough about Clarence Thomas. 
If we actually had, I keep hearing the media, this fake uh, six unbalanced, more conservative courts, six, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, not a conservative, enough, at, at, at enough, at best, it's 5-4, at best, and with Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh, it, it could be 5-4 the other way at this point. <sighs> Uh, but Justice Thomas wrote a dissent, and I'll read it to you in a little bit, from the denial of the case filed by the Trump administration in the Pennsylvania GOP. Justice Alito wrote a separate statement in which he agreed with Justice Thomas, and Justice Gorsuch joined in Justice Alito's statement dissenting from the denial of review. This lineup means that Chief Justice Roberts, along with Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, were among the six justices voting to deny review. It would have taken the vote of one of those three to have accepted the case. The case involving the changes to the Pennsylvania election law by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court involved a particularly thorny question of federalism as the justification given by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and its decision was based on a provision of the Pennsylvania Constitution mandating that elections be free and equal, quote-unquote. Defenders of the Pennsylvania Court's decision argued that is an accepted matter of U.S. Supreme Court jurisprudence that state Supreme Courts have final say on the meaning of the state's constitution. And in this instance, uh, and in this instance, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court determined that Pennsylvania's November 2020 elections could only be fair and equal for all voters if the deadline for receiving mail-in ballots was extended by three days, based on justifications presented to the court in the record of the case of course that was all because of the virus which don't don't look now but this virus is being used to not only destroy small business in this country uh try to destroy most of your lives tell you what you can and can't wear over your face um and and now change the how, uh, the election laws and the election landscape in this country with now new precedent set just imagine what 2024 looks like remember, 2022 remember it was just two weeks Two weeks. Yeah. Just two days. weeks. 14 days. Now we have new election laws. You have no choices to what to Oh, you mean just 15 days to flatten the spread? Yeah. Of oh, course. yeah. Flatten the curve or whatever. Right. It's been well, now, f- it's flattened the country at yeah, this point. And, and did, didn't uh, we hear uh, Beijing Joe say yesterday that by Christmas 2021 we'll be back to normal? Yeah. Sure, we will. Yeah, well, we've heard a lot. We'll get to some of that la- uh, later, too, as far as. Well, if you're vaccinated, don't think you're just going to run out with no mask or no. You just, I mean, you can't even see the goalposts anymore. They keep moving so fast. They're not even in the stadium anymore. The yeah. goal, they're gone. They're like they're just gone. You, you try to find them. They're, they're, you, yeah, the you, globalists pulled them down in a victory celebration. Yeah, you won't even find them anymore. Uh, so just to finish this from Red State, the critics of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision pointed to the electors' clause of the United States Constitution, which gives to state legislatures the authority to determine the manner by which electors shall be selected for presidential election contests. Well, I don't, it's, I think it's going to be, I think it would be hard to argue that um, getting to electors the way we did and sending them up to Congress, this is why it just was kind of laughable that the, when people would that well it was certified and it was sent to uh pence can't do anything okay I, I don't think the framers of the constitution would have thought that this is the way we would have gotten to electors and sent to congress for certification 
after the rogue governor of Pennsylvania, the, the, the clear uh, left-wing bias of the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court there. Meanwhile, you had the one appellate judge who was out on an island by herself saying, no, no, I'm going to hear this case. Of course, after the, low, after the lower court dismissed it out of hand, latches, you know, you can't, you can't come before for standing. You can't come after for latches. Well, how do you get there? Well, nobody knows. But you had this appellate judge who was willing to say, you know, I think, the, um, I think they make a good case and will probably win on the merits of the case. Looking, of course, at the Constitution, she makes the case that they would have won. Well, what happened to her? They ran right to the uh, Supreme Court and she got smacked down in about 24 hours. That was, that was over. That hearing was over. And so you can't get, you can't, you have latches, you can't get in. You have, um, you wait, you waited too long, latches, you can't get in. You didn't, had no precedent before, you can't get in. The state Supreme Court won't hear it. And now, thanks to uh, Chief Justice Roberts, the Supreme, the Supreme Court won't hear it. So, if you're a Democrat, what are you thinking? Man, we could just, we could do whatever the hell we want in these elections. No one's going to stop us. No one's going to hear these cases. Doesn't matter what we do. Let's push the envelope, baby. Come on. I mean, Chief Justice Roberts, when you really think about it, I mean, think about it, Clarence Thomas is the Chief Justice. I mean, this guy just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, it's a real, it's a real problem. It's really a problem. And, and, and the thing about Merrick Garland, what I saw today, the little that I watched, you know, that, that's a representation of the kind of judges that are on the benches around. You see him today. I, mean, I don't want to hear any more ever again about Merrick Garland being some kind of... Um, moderate dressed up like the oh obama wanted him because he's a moderate can't you tell did any i mean does anyone think that at the end <laughs> not, of today not at all i mean does anybody think that anymore that i mean what you saw today even though i, I don't know i guess he studied well i guess he studied no issues because every other answer was well i haven't really thought about that yeah i hadn't thought about that issue well i hadn't, hadn't thought that issue through i don't know if i can comment on that issue well, she'll circle back. I mean, he'll circle back. Well, yeah, in some in some ways, it was kind. Of, he might as well have used that. I'll circle back. I have to circle back. I haven't thought about that. Well, it got you. It also got you wondering. Well, if if he's a current justice, right? What kind of cases is this guy hearing? That he has no opinion and hasn't really thought about all these other. Is he not like? Does he show up? <laughs> I mean, he was <laughs> actually doing. Is he actually employed? Is this divorce court? He's the judge at or what? Josh Hawley asked him. <laughs> Is it a crime? No. <laughs> Is it a crime to illegally cross the border? Now, the word illegally, I thought would maybe be the giveaway here, <laughs> but I, I'm just thinking on a very simplistic level where I operate. Uh, he wasn't sure. He was not sure or could not say that crossing the border illegally which is how we say it, right? When someone comes into the yeah. country, yeah, you cross the border that. illegally. Illegally is the word we use. He couldn't say if it was a crime. 
have you from ever the tried, clip I saw. Have you ever tried to go into Canada? No. I, well, my kid played a lot of hockey. It was so hard to get into Canada, especially with your kid in the car. I'm not, I'm not kidding. The, 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 what they would put you through when you would open your trunk, they'll look under your seats, they would take your kid out, they would ask him questions privately. This is, this is Buffalo to Canada, through Niagara Falls. People get married, it's a festive place. It was a nightmare. Couldn't just barge your way in. Or it get was wel- illegal. Or, or get welcomed in, by the way, by the leader, which is what's going on here at the southern border now. Well, come on in. We know you'll come back for the hearing in three years. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But um, no, Merrick Garland wasn't sure about that today, along with many other things. Why? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't thought about that. Imagine having a guest on the show uh, the other day with <laughs> Doug Smith. Fantastic. Yeah. Imagine if I said to Doug Smith, uh, the, uh, you know, so what do you think about the Cuomo? Well, I, I hadn't really thought about that. I have to get back. <laughs> what the hell are you here for? What are you for? talking about with Cuomo? What happened with him? Well, no, Doug Smith was <laughs> here. And, uh, yeah, exactly. What, what's going on with him? I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I don't know if I can answer that, Senator, because um, that's a difficult question. Well, well yes. Yes. You, you want to be the attorney general, you're going to deal with difficult questions. It comes up now and again. Yeah. I mean, I've got clips of – who do I have, G? I got, I got uh, Senator Kennedy who um, – yeah, Kennedy. We have Senator Lee. I have um, – and then I've got Holly. Now, I've got the first time Holly asked questions. It's not the second time when he asked that about crossing the border. And, um, I mean, he gave some okay answers on religious uh, liberty. I thought he was pretty good on, but I, I mean, I don't want to hear this guy's some moderate, and that's why Obama's looking at him. I mean, if he's, if he's an example of what's sitting on the bench around the country, I mean, now you know why, what we're up against here, why the, the, country, the, the, the rule of law has gone to hell in a handbasket here. Yeah, this, this guy does not inspire confidence when you hear him speak either. I mean, he's just, he's, you know, it's, it, it's, he's just, you know, just a, he's a disaster. When you hear him speak, he's a disaster. He's kind of like the president. I can't even believe I said that. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's openly advocating, at least my um, interpretation of listening to the little that I heard. Now, maybe I don't have the context right, which is, I guess, possible. But it seemed to me that he's advocating for censorship laws. Like, he doesn't seem to be a big supporter of the First Amendment. I mean, I, that's just me. I mean, I don't know. The little that I heard. Did, did he actually think about that one? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, he did. He, yeah, he had some comments on it. And from what I could tell, it, he doesn't seem to be you know, a big, um, not, a, not, a, not grabbing the pom-poms for the First Amendment from what I could tell. I mean, and if he's, a, if he's a snapshot of what's on the bench around the country, I mean, maybe other than what Trump's done in the, la- the last four years, although... I mean, who knows? I mean, you, you see why, and then you look at the Supreme Court. So when I started the show, we got a serious, we have serious issues um, with one of the branches of government here in this country. I mean, it's just, it seems to be getting worse, um, not better. We're I always. We, I think we got serious issues with all three branches. That's the problem. Well, but what I'm saying is no one can look you in the eye and, thought, and, and, say, and say that they were not extremely excited when uh, we've had Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and then Amy Coney Barrett, when, when unfortunately, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, unfortunately, passed away. May, her, may she rest in peace. But conservatives were thinking, okay, 
even thinking out to the election, you know, at least now we, we hope that maybe we'll start, you know, we'll stop killing babies in this country. I mean, maybe things were at least on the table. At least getting looked at, at least hear the cases. That's, that's all you want. Hear the cases. And then, you know, if the evidence is there, it's chips, uh, let the chips fall where they may. And if you can prove your case, you prove your case. Well, we'll get back to Garland in a second. So let me just finish with, because Justice uh, Thomas wrote, I mean, really what is a fantastic dissent um, with Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Roberts signing with the liberals. And, and um, he said the following. This is part of his dissent. Uh, one wonders what this court wait, waits for. We failed to settle this dispute before the election and thus provide clear rules. Now, we again failed to provide clear rules for future elections. The decision to leave election law hidden beneath a shroud of doubt is baffling. By doing nothing, we invite further confusion and erosion of voter confidence. Our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more of us. I respectfully dissent. And um, to give you a little more of what he said, he said the Constitution gives each state legislature authority to determine the manner of federal elections, Article 1, Section 4, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Yet both before and after the 2020 election, non-legislative officials in various states took it upon themselves to set the rules instead. As a result, we received an unusually high number of petitions and emergency applications contesting those changes. The petitions here present a clear example. The Pennsylvania legislature established an unambiguous deadline for receiving mail-in ballots, 8 p.m. on election day. Dissatisfied, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended that deadline by three days. The court also ordered officials to count ballots received by the new deadline, even if there was no evidence, such as a postmark, that the ballots were mailed by election day. That decision to rewrite the rules seems to have affected too few ballots to change the outcome of any federal election, but that may not be the case in the future. These cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable. The hour live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Paul Nolan's here, gonna do some news in a second. Uh, Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amorati will have sports coming up in a little bit. What even is that at the top of the hour? 
What's your what even is that um, coming in on tonight? You mean tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I thought you said. I saw. I thought I saw one today. That's for tomorrow. Well, yeah, that's for tomorrow. Oh, so I got a sneak preview. You got a sneak preview. Okay. But it has to do with uh, getting woke and going broke. I'll just say that. Okay. Right, so nice. that that really leaves it up to. I mean, we could be talking about movies, music, sports. NBA, sports. Yep. Um, anything. So. Even though I know what it is, it's none of those, but <laughs> could be any one of those. All right, so let me just finish on Justice Thomas because this is just fantastic stuff. Um, and it's the only thing that's fantastic that's coming out of the Supreme Court. So he said, the court also ordered officials to count ballots received by the new deadline, even if there was no evidence, such as a postmark, that the ballots were mailed by election day. The refusal to do this is inexplicable. Not only did parties on both sides agree that the issue warranted a certiori, uh, but there was no question that petitioners faced irreparable harm. Anytime a state is enjoined by a court uh, from effectuating statutes enacted by representatives of its people, it suffers a form of irreparable injury. Petitioners further established a fair prospect of certiori and reversal. For more than a century, this court has recognized that the Constitution operates as a limitation upon the state in respect of any attempt to circumvent the legislative power to regulate federal elections. Because the federal constitution, not state constitutions, gives state legislatures authority to regulate federal elections, petitioners presented a strong argument that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision violated the constitution by overriding the clearly expressed intent of the legislature. And that paragraph is the whole ball game and he's absolutely 100% positively correct in that in that statement that's the whole thing and in my estimation which means nothing here because I'm not a constitutional anything I recognize that I don't think that can be argued and if so I'd love to see someone argue it uh, against Clarence Thomas on TV so I can watch it because I don't think it's I don't think you can argue it um, the author here, who is the author of this, by the way, uh, Bonchi, Red State, says, my view, Thomas is completely correct here. This was a case that was punted due to technical reasons, not an honest look at the law. Further, if before an election is not the time to allow this suit to go forward, and after the election it can't go forward because it's moot, well, when exactly then can it go forward? All this sets up is for the country, and Pennsylvania in particular, to be dealing with these same issues again in two years. They won't be dealing with the same issues. They'll be dealing with worse issues. They'll be dealing with these and whatever else the Democrats think they can get away with on top of these, on top of the new precedent that's now been set. Keep in mind, uh, this was not a question of election fraud or some other radioactive topic. It was simply a question and, you know, we did this on this show throughout this whole thing. We put everything into buckets. You had the Sidney Powell uh, crazy town bucket. You had the constitutional bucket, which is where we focused most of our time. And then you had the fraud bucket. We, ha- we always did talked about it in those three buckets. And we always focused the most on the constitutional bucket because that was the clearest violations, I thought. Uh, It's simply a question of whether unelected judges in a state can override the state's constitution, blatantly violating election law while doing so. That seems like a precedent that should absolutely not be set and should instead be slapped down with prejudice. 
This is what the Supreme Court exists for. And once again, several members of the conservative wing chose cowardice over dealing with tough issues. In the end, all this does is make sure that a huge contingent of Americans don't trust our election system. And why should they if the courts can't even be counted on to settle such obvious issues as what occurred in Pennsylvania? It's also extremely disappointed showing, disappointing showing for Kavanaugh and Barrett, two judges that conservatives absolutely went to the mat for. No one is asking them to bias their judgments, but there's no logical reason to not vote to take this, hear this case. As per our usual agreement, everything that's old will be new again, and that includes fighting these election fights in the coming years because our institutions refuse to fix the system. Well, that's the, you know what? That, that's the issue, is, is that if they hear the case, what happens? And, and are they being influenced by that? Are they being influenced thinking, well, if we hear the case, the evidence is going to come out. And if the evidence comes out, the evidence comes out and, and it's obvious to everyone that this is wrong, it's going to throw the election into, into chaos and people are going to freak out. So maybe we don't hear the case and everything will stay calm. And I think that's probably wh- where, where some of these, uh, these people are thinking. And, and unfortunately, you can't think that way. But I think that's that's probably what they're thinking. Like, well, do we really want to get involved? We heard this months months ago when uh, when it was first brought up that they didn't want to get involved in the in the election process. You know, and, and unfortunately, it's too bad. That's your job. You got to do your job now. If big, I could, put your big boy pants on and do your job. If yeah. that was even remotely possibly true, we would we've got bigger problems than we even think for a Supreme Court justice to act. On those impulses, if that was true. Now, uh, are they concerned that they're, uh, are they too, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe Chief Justice Roberts is getting to all, you know, you got to be careful of what the Wall Street Journal is going to print about you or the uh, National Review is going to write about you or Andy McCarthy is going to write about you. So keep all that in mind here when you're thinking about what cases you want to take or don't take. I I mean, I don't know what's going on. Right. I don't know if they're worried about the public uh, sentiment. I believe that's the case. I believe the media is so incredibly powerful and so intimidating and all-encompassing yeah. i think it's i think it's a lot to do with that I, I, and you know what jamie you you bring up a good point of roberts getting in their ear saying you know what is this really the best for the country let's just uh you know move this forward and uh you know forget forget we ever saw this and, and i'm sorry but that's again do your job hear the case and once that case if it were to be brought all this evidence is going to come out, and I think that's, that's what scares the living daylights out of all these people. It is, um, it, it is as I think the word he used in that article, it is really inexplicable um, that they decided that somehow this is, um, these cases shouldn't be heard, and this is a moot point. It's just, I don't know. Because, like, like, I mean, think about it. Think about it. If they were to hear this case, one of these cases, and this evidence is now brought to them, they can't just say, well, uh, they they have to follow the letter of the law. They'd have to say, okay, yes, you're right. It it, it didn't follow the Constitution. 
they would have to admit it. They don't want to go on record with that. And it sucks that we're in this position. Sam Alito also totally rejected this argument that somehow this decision uh, about extraordinary and unprecedented confluence of circumstances from COVID-19, that they, such a perfect storm is likely to recur. He wrote that the argument fails for three reasons. First, that it does not acknowledge the breadth of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision, which used a constitutional provision guaranteeing free and equal elections, quote-unquote, to override even very specific and unambiguous rules adopted by the legislature for the conduct of federal elections. He also noted that in order for a question to be capable of repetition, it is not necessary to predict that history will repeat itself at a very high level of specificity. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just continue, continue disappointment. Continued disappointment from the Supreme Court on just think about the cases they stick their nose into that they don't that they have no right to be even in there on and things like this clear violation. No, no, we can't hear it. It's uh, I don't know. Unbelievable. So, um, well, we'll get to Merrick Garland. We'll get to some of the testimony, Merrick Garland. What's else? What else is going on in the news, Paul? Anything else that's caught your attention? today? Yeah, the senators want to know if the new prosecutor, McQuaid, will work on the Hunter Biden case if it has any uh, conflicts. And um, I think most of we talked about this a while back, but top senators are asking the Justice Department whether new acting assistant attorney general Nicholas McQuaid will be involved in the federal investigation into Hunter Biden's tax records and if McQuaid's previous job at a law firm connected to the president's son poses a conflict of interest. In a February 3rd letter to the Justice Department, Grassley and Ron Johnson pointed out McQuaid was employed at Latham and Watkins until January 20th and says he worked with the fellow firm attorney Christopher Clark whom Hunter Biden reportedly hired to work on his federal criminal case a month before his father was named, you know, president, if you can call it that. And uh, it was said, this is, um, Grassley wrote, it's unclear what role, if any, Mr. McQuaid has in the Hunter Biden case or whether he has any access to the case. As a general matter, all government employees must avoid situations that create even the appearance of impropriety and impartiality so as not to affect the public. And uh, it also um, went on to say something to the effect of no employee shall participate in a criminal investigation if he if or she has personal or political relationship with the uh, anybody in a group or substantially involved in the conduct, conduct that has uh, the subject of the investigation or prosecution or any person of the group that knows uh, has a specific or su- substantial interest that would directly be affected by the outcome or the investigation itself. So um, it's clearly a violation here. And um, this will be interesting to see if the we or the protocols kick in here, because I, I don't see how in God's name this guy could be involved in any level. I mean, he already is involved behind the scenes at this point. Well, when the Democrats take over, you know, we forget things like uh, the Logan Act and all, and the uh, and the emoluments clause, and 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 things like you know, Jeff Sessions recused himself because he thought he thought he saw possible ethics violations and whatever. He, you know, the Democrats don't play that game; <laughs> they they play to win. 
They play to win. If they can get their guy in there and he can, he can throw this thing into the closet and forget about it, well, they'll do it. Yeah. They'll do it. They play to win. They don't, they don't, play, to, they don't play to be fair. Well, I'm going to recuse myself because I think, uh, you know, uh, no, no, no. They don't do that. <laughs> they stick together and burn the place down on the way through. They, they have no interest in, um, in being ethical, being fair, being bipartisan, being, um, you, having unity. It's all conformity or it's nothing. That's it. That's it. So I just, I mean, we have more and more evidence that um, John Kerry was violating the Logan Act. I mean, I don't, I don't know that anybody certainly is not going to try to go after him for it. It's not going to be prosecuted, but there's more, there's certainly more and more information that he was back channeling his way into Iran throughout the Trump administration, at least the last half of it. But, you know, if Don Jr. was doing that in the Biden administration and he was, I mean, if it was reverse, you know, come on, you know what it would be. You'd say that about a hundred subjects. That's this this tax thing that the Supreme Court his taxes with Cy Vance in New York again it's just it, you know it's just a disgrace the precedent it sets Live from Studio 6B on a Monday, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. If you want to be a part of the program tonight, you can send us an email at lfs6b at yahoo.com. I'll try to get to some of them in the second hour. Harry's not here tonight, so no phone number tonight, but uh, you can always email us. It's on the screen. Uh, it's time to do sports. And here with sports is Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, Big D. Well, let me take you to a different court that has its own issues to be to some <laughs> some sense with the controversy. But uh, anyway, just one game in action right now: the Bulls and Rockets in the NBA. Bulls up twenty nine twenty four. That's at the end of one. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. leads all scorers for the Bulls with eleven, and just underway, just tipped off, is the uh, Grizzlies are visiting the Dallas Mavericks, trying to catch up on those. Snow and ice canceled games. NHL action right now. End of the second period. Panthers over the Stars 2-1. to one. Also at the end of the second, Flames lead the Maple Leafs 2-zip. A lightning over the Hurricanes 2-1. to one. Hedman and Stamkos, who else scored the two goals for Tampa? That's at the end of the second. And uh, Sabres Islanders in a good one. End of two. 1-1. One, one. Um, Anders Lee for the Islanders and Curtis Lazar for Buffalo with the goals. And late first, Kings over the Blues. 1-zip. Uh, PGA final. We already gave them a little uh, pre-practice putt on this one, Big D, earlier. But the Riviera Country Club, Pacific Palisades, California, $9.3 million purse. USA's Max Homa uh, needing a birdie on the 18th hole Sunday to win the Genesis Invitational. Max Homa hit sand wedge to a back pin that settled three feet away, setting up the storybook finish for a guy who grew up 30 miles away and has been watching this tournament his whole life. And then he missed. 
His ball next to the base of a tree left of the 10th green on the first playoff hole, Homer hooded a gap wedge with enough topspin to scoot up the Kikuya grass and onto the edge of the green, setting up par. Tony Finau missed a seven-footer, and Homer was happy just to get to the next hole. Homer won on the second extra hole when Finau failed to save par from a bunker, missing a 10-foot putt. And living 30 miles away, truly could say, Max Homer was a homer, big D. Uh, Tony Finau finished in second at uh, 12 under. Um, and also Sam Burns, as we mentioned earlier, he didn't make it the full way. He led after three days, and uh, he finished with a 273, one stroke behind. So that was a great match over the weekend. I kind of felt bad for the kid because he had to get up at 4 in the morning because of the wind on Saturday. It was so bad, they postponed the last part of the third round. And the poor kid had to get up at 4 in the morning to come out and finish like two holes yeah and then of course had to wait he was in the final group so then he had to wait till like two o'clock to tee off and played his last 18 so i don't I mean i don't know if that had anything to do with it but it's just too bad he didn't get a chance to have a regular sunday get up at the right time and come yeah. to the course and do his normal routine but listen i mean you know these guys you got to get it done he didn't get it done so Sometimes the elements are an opponent as well, um, quite often, especially this time of year. Um, Australian Open, AP report. Australian Open, Melbourne, Australia, Naomi Osaka. I'm going straight to the women because I stayed up to watch this match. Naomi Osaka beats Jennifer Brady in straight sets to win the 2021 Australian Open women's title. Osaka improved to 4-0 in Grand Slam finals by grabbing six consecutive games to pull away in what initially was a tight contest, beating Brady 6-4, 6-3 at Melbourne Park on Saturday. Well, it sounds like it was tight until they started the play. Exactly. Early on, you know, Brady was looking good. You know, she was even with her. You know, Osaka was a little off, a couple of shots into the net, but then she took control. And, and this young lady, I think she's, uh, she's on her way to become one of those legends that we're going to remember for a long time. Uh, with serves that reached 122 miles an hour and produced six aces and returns that helped create six breaks, Osaka became the first woman to win her first four major finals since Monica Seles did it 30 years ago. Remember old Monica Seles? That is can, a part I of Osaka's her yell after every shot. Yeah, it's Monica Seles exactly. screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Brady grunts a lot too, though, when she shoots. Uh, that is part of Osaka's exceptional 12-0 record in quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals at the major. Brady's only previous semifinal appearance at a major came at the U.S. Open in September when she lost to Osaka in three sets. The win moves Osaka into the number two world-ranked spot behind number one Ash Barty, who lost in the quarterfinals at Melbourne Park. Brady moves up from number 24 to number 13. A big D. I think we're going to see that young lady. A lot of tenacity in her, and uh, I think she, she polishes her game up a little bit. She's going to be, she may be, uh, you know, Jimmy Connors, uh, McEnroe, and, you know, kind of like that would be on board. She may get into that kind of a mix as a challenger. Uh, and uh, speaking of uh, great tennis legends, Novak Djokovic rolled to his ninth Australian Open, 18th grand career Grand Slam. Djokovic used improved serving along with his usual relentless returning and baseline excellence to grab 11 of 13 games in one stretch and beat Daniil Medvedev 7-5-6-2-6-2 for a third consecutive Australian Open trophy. Battling a torn abdominal muscle suffered in the third round where Jokovic wasn't sure he would continue to compete. Jokovic said, definitely, emotionally, the most challenging Grand Slam that I ever had. With everything that has happened, uh, injury off the court, stuff quarantines, a roller coaster ride. When the match ended after less than two hours, Jokovic went to the sideline, lifted his white shirt and peeled pieces of beige athletic tape from his stomach after beating Medvedev on Sunday for his 18th Grand Slam title. Jokovic is 33 years old and he is the number one ranked tennis player, at least for the next couple of weeks. 
weeks until the next rankings come out on March 8th. That will give him 311 weeks there, breaking another mark held by the great Roger Federer. PRCA, let's go to the rodeo. Uh, for segment one, I'm going to report on the 146 Silver Spurs Rodeo, Kissimmee, Florida, Silver Spurs Arena Final. Bareback, Richard Champion, Let It Rock, 87.5. Saddlebronk, Brody Crest on Archie, 85.5. Get ready for this one. Bull Riding, Coy Palmier on Rico Suave. Remember Gerardo <laughs> uh, from uh, 1990, Gerardo? 80, he scored an 87. Big D, that's before your he time. He was a founding member of Menudo, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. <laughs> that was a hit from 1990. Uh, and barrel racing, Randy Prindle, 14.47 seconds. Tie down, Catfish Brown. You know, seven- Gio, I'm going to come in there and kill you. Uh, Gio's <laughs> always trying to catch me. I know what you're doing, you little weasel. Don't try to tell me you're not. I know. What I, you're I heard about this inside baseball. Yeah, yeah team tie down. Mason Bocha and uh, Eddie Medina, funky cold Medina, with a five and a half second tie down. <laughs> not bad. And we're going to get a little music into this. And one last one, big UFC Vegas night fight card. I don't know yeah. if you caught this one I at sure the did. Apex. Woo! What a what a what a blowout! What a shocker! Derek Lewis KOs Curtis Blades in biggest UFC main event upset in five years. Mark Ramondi, ESPN staff writer, reports Curtis Blade now fourteen and three made no apologies about his strategy coming into a huge heavyweight fight with Derek. Eric Lewis, who's gone to 25-7. and seven. Blades was going to use his dominant wrestling style early and often. He told anyone who would listen. Maybe it was a decoy, but Blades should have stuck to his original game plan as Lewis crushed him with an uppercut at 126 of the second round in Saturday's main event. Unbelievable fight. And, uh, yeah, that was a shocker, Big D. I had well, Blades. <clears throat> here's the thing. Um, Blades came in to try to take him down, and he got caught with an uppercut and got knocked out cold. And... I mean, Herb Dean's got to. I mean, Herb Dean's a great referee. Yeah, but he's got to be a little quicker on his feet. I mean, um, what's his name hit him? I mean, the guy was out cold from the uppercut. Yeah, and by the time Herb Dean got there to wave it off, he cracked him with two more full fledged, full power. Um, I mean, the guy was out already. It was a little like, uh, oof, man, it was. It looked on. It was bordering on uncalled for. I mean, you could clearly see he was unconscious. Yep. Well, and he, he cracked him twice more, and I was thinking to myself, man, Herb Dean's got to be a little quicker on the draw. Yep. Or a well, little lighter on the feet. I don't know, but he's got to get there a little faster. Yeah, as I mentioned, it was the biggest upset in the UFC main event since Michael Bisping beat Luke Rockhold at UFC 199 in 2016. According to ESPN stats, Lewis was a plus 350 underdog per sports book by William Hill, ESPN's odds provider. Bisping was a plus 400 against Rockhold five years ago. So quite the upset. I don't think a lot of people had that one. Uh, no, probably not. Nope. And that's a wrap in sports, Big D, for the first segment. All right, very good. Thanks, Rick. Uh, we've got more to do. We've got Crazy Towns coming up in hour two. Paul will have some more news. We've got Senator Kennedy with Merrick Garland. I've got Senator Mike Lee. I've got some Jen Psaki today from the Sunday shows and from a briefing today. Um, well, Doug Smith was here on Friday, and Doug Smith's a lot more outspoken than Governor Cuomo, than, than Jen Psaki, and by the way, the president is. So we'll discuss that as well. So lots to do in hour two. Glad you're in. Live from Studio 6B. We're back right after this.
right, live from Studio 6B. Paul's going to do some news here coming up in a second. Glad you're in on a Monday night. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amorati will have more sports. Gio Fran holding it down. We'll get to Joe Biden and his uh, speech he gave tonight and some thoughts on that, some thoughts on where we are with uh, coronavirus vaccines and all that. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll take a look at some of Merrick Garland. Now, I could sum up. I saw our friend uh, A64 on Twitter did a nice video summing up the Merrick Garland. I could sum it up for you in about 10 seconds. He did it in under 60 seconds. I could do it in about 10 seconds. Um, uh, uh, I haven't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. I have to get back to you. I haven't thought about that. It was kind of like a lot, very similar to what I see in the press briefing room every day. Very similar. So... Uh, but right now, let's do some news. And here with the news is Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? So uh, President Biden delivered remarks. I hate saying it. <laughs> I know, me too. I can't <laughs> say it. If I say it, I want to puke. Um, I don't know. Biden delivered remarks as coronavirus fatalities in the U.S. have now surpassed 500,000. Uh, he delivered remarks to the White House on Monday evening as the nation on uh, to the nation uh, uh, how it has now surpassed the grim milestone of a half million COVID-19 fatalities and continues to grapple with the COVID uh, virus. So uh, the president spoke um, about the grief that accompanies with the loss of a loved one, but also the country yeah, will, will you know joy again? You know, so this is the goofball. I wish we had a clip of it, but, he, you know, he was just basically addressing it. And and uh, later today, President, the First Lady of the Vice President, and the second gentleman will mark the solemn milestone of a half million American lives lost to COVID-19. This is what he continues to say. They will ask all Americans to join in a moment of silence during a candle lighting ceremony at sundown. President Biden will also deliver remarks and order all flags on the federal property below it at half staff for the next five days. So they're celebrating the half million mark, and uh, I wonder how many of those he's responsible for. All right, Paul wants to hear some of the president tonight from the White House. Here is um, a little bit of how he started his remarks. Go ahead, G. Each day I receive a small card in my pocket that I carry with me in my schedule. Okay. It shows the number of Americans who have been infected by or died from COVID-19. Today, we mark a truly grim, heartbreaking milestone. 500,071 dead. That's more Americans who have died in one year in this pandemic than in World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. And they all voted for you. That's more lives lost to this virus than any other nation on Earth. But as we acknowledge the scale of this mass death in America, we remember each person and the life they lived. There are people we knew. There are people we feel like we knew. Read the obituaries and remembrances. The son who called his mom every night just to check in. The father's daughter who lit up his world. The best friend who was always there. The nurse, the nurse and nurses, but the nurse who made her patients want to live. 
right, so just just hold it a second here, Jay. A couple thoughts on this because obviously five hundred thousand dead. There's nothing. I try to say this. <clears throat> there's nothing funny here. Nothing to joke about. Obviously, um, but to if the Democrats and Joe Biden want to have a discussion about um, life, death, morality. Those kinds of discussions, I think anybody in the Republican Party conservatives would, would welcome that discussion. And, and the reason I bring this up, because it is a grim milestone, but Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the Democratic Party, the Democrat media, for months, for months, politicized every death that occurred during coronavirus, politicized every death. Every TV station had a chart, had a graph, talked about it nonstop. They tried to, they tried to lay every single one of the deaths he's talking about right now at the feet of the former president. Now, you notice they don't do that to him. 100,000, maybe more now, of the 500,000 he's talking about, have died since January 20th, since he's been in office. The death rate is up 20% since he went into office. So none of this is easy to talk about. None of it's fun to discuss. And none of it um, should be politicized as what they did for a long time on media, on television, um, what Joe Biden did, Kamala Harris did. They politicized every part of this. Fauci has done it. They've all done it. They um, lambasted the president on every level when it came to vaccines. They scared the American... They said... The, the, they gave the, Cuomo an award. He was the gold standard, according to Joe Biden. The hypocrisy in this whole thing is beyond, it's, it's insufferable. And to hear him now politicizing it in a way so they can continue their BS agendas and nonstop assault on, on liberty, you know, and he gets to, he's acting like he's so somber. He don't care. Please don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell me that he cares. He's so, he's so warm and benevolent. Please. Well, it's all nonsense. It's all nonsensical. It's a joke. It is a joke. It's I'm a not going to say. I'm not going to debate whether he cares what his feelings are. Five hundred thousand people have died. That's a fact. Yeah, but, but I go what, back. What, but well, that's a fact, right? Let's talk. Let's get into it a little bit. Is it a fact that all five hundred thousand were straight COVID, or haven't we dissected we, the numbers? Have we chopped up the numbers enough to know that no one gets the flu anymore? We have no now, idea what the chop- numbers are. Have we chopped up the numbers to know that no one dies of pneumonia or that motorcycle accidents can be listed as COVID? Correct. So when it's all said and done, the death drip counter on CNN, which immediately disappeared, you know, within the dark blood red, the ticker, the the Trump kill list, and now it's gone. And now he's acting like this unbelievably benevolent, somber leader is just comical to me when you know Don well that he's in bed with China. China has happened in a Chinese lab. We've seen the relationship between the NSAD and the NIH and all these people from Chapel. We've seen so much evidence repressed. 
silenced, can't talk about it. We're not allowed to discuss. There is no open discussion about it. And here we are watching him let us know that, that this was worse than all the wars, the World War I and World War II, you know, and, and Nam combined. Yeah, and, and I seem to, to remember— me it's, a, it's an affront to anybody who fought for this country. That's yeah, and, and I seem to remember, I think it was during the summer, or towards the end of the summer, when the CDC posted on their website, their website, actual COVID-only related deaths was about 12,000. Yep. And again, not making light of, oh my goodness, it's only 12. Uh, let's face it, you know, uh, isn't it's it a sad bad that, Isn't it sad that you have to put a disclaimer on that when you make it a clear right. factual statement? But, but to sit there, and, and like you said, you know, because they disqualify all the other factors. Well, the guy had a history of heart disease, and he was probably, you know, probably one heart attack away. And guess what? He had a heart attack. Oh, but he had COVID, so it's a COVID death. A good friend of mine's mom passed. Good, beautiful woman, sweet. 88 years old, smoked two packs a day. She cut down to two. Smoked three-fourths throughout her life. Emphysema. They listed her as a COVID death because she did have COVID with it. She was 88 and frail. She had been on life support for on and off, in and out, uh, you know, um, uh, in and out of hospitals, on, on respirators her whole life. Well, the last 20 years. It's COVID death. Yeah. I mean, and, to me, at what point do we start having real discussion? Well, we can't. And we heard about doctors being bullied. And I, I, I think we had a, did we talk to one or did we show the video where the guy had a letter? Or, or an email from, from the head of the state saying, yeah, you got you got you to, you know, write up your debts like this. And, and he said he's never been put in that position before where he's being told how he has to classify someone, one of his patients who has died or any of his patients. Right. How about Rick's incentivized? Lots and lots of money to put COVID on that. But I'm just saying that uh, sometimes jokes aren't uh, meant to be funny. They're meant to be mean. These jokes that they're playing on the American people, to me, and this, this, the constant propaganda machine, it's enough to make me want to throw up. Yeah, and, and Joe Biden trying, trying to play the, I'm, you know, I'm so sullen and whatever, dude. Your, your kid is a, uh, a pedophile, and you're covered it up, and you've hidden it for years. Well, um, besides all of that, which alleged. is all, all true, uh, I go back to what I said about... Um, Discussions about life, death, and morality is not discussions that most Democrats, including Joe Biden, would be willing to have because um, how many kids have been, how many babies have been aborted in this country? Millions. A lot more than 500,000. Millions. There's no vaccine for that. Nope. And they, Joe Biden supports um, policies that require me and you have to pay for that and not only in this country he's sending his his covid bill right did i read that right that that there's a provision in there to send abortion money to other countries so Correct. now we're funding abortions in other countries are you kidding me and what about should we maybe before the break comes we talk about the level of depression in this country that a study came out that a third of americans have of depression and half of them have severe depression and the teen suicide rate continues to rise. Is that worth discussing? Triple. I mean, what, what are we talking about here? We all have to agree that the 
solution that these masters of ours have come up with has done nothing for anybody, hasn't helped anybody or anything. And how many times can we hear, how many studies do we need to read that we're not allowed to discuss that show the masks are not helping? The more you wear the mask, the more you catch germs, the more you put them on your hands, the more you touch people and things, and the more you, you spread it. There's studies that refute the idea that masks work. At what point do we discuss this? Where is the discussion? There isn't any. So when we have a president coming on, an Ill illegitimate president coming on, talking from his moral high horse, it makes me want to throw up. Correct. And it should. Um, especially the way they've demonized and politicized this whole thing. And you can't name me one single thing that this administration has done, by the way, to push the ball down the road here. Do the, is there new, are there any new vaccines coming? I mean, we've got a couple. That's maybe not enough. Are there any more coming? Is there anything new that this administration has developed as far as getting the vaccines into people's arms quicker? Have they come up with anything different? Have they pushed the ball anywhere down the road from what the former administration left them? If they are, they're keeping it one hell of a big secret. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Monday night, Real America's Voice. Real America's Voice, by the way, will be at CPAC. This weekend, I believe it starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, it's being held this year in Orlando. If you're in the Orlando area, down in Florida, or close by, and you're going to CPAC, make sure you stop by the Real America's Voice booth. And um, Harry Oates will be there. And uh, there'll be some shows there. So if you're down at CPAC, go visit Real America's Voice there on, um, well, if you've been to CPAC, you know how it's set up, and they'll, they'll be there. So, and, and, and what stinks is that uh, we all wanted to go. We had talked about this, but no, no uh, I don't think it was going to be possible. But the president's going to be speaking now. Did you hear that? There is word that the former president may be speaking there. Um, the former vice president will not be attending. People are making it that it's uh, some big hoorah-rah between the two of them. I, I doubt that's the case. Um, the vice president will not attend, but the word is that President Trump um, may be attending and may be speaking, as he has the last couple years. And he spoke at CPAC before he was president, too, by the way. And he's always fired up and good at CPAC. CPAC's a good, fun event. Yeah. Um, so we have a crazy town here and, and, you know, there's a lot of the factors in here. This is our current president being, um, surprisingly clear and concise about what he's saying here. <laughs> and you know, with the, with the, um, with the new precedent that's now set that you can go back and go after former officials as they just did about for the former president trying to impeach him. Well, I just want you to pay attention here, and we'll discuss it afterwards. Roll it, G.
So what was that like, uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21, and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And then a Saturday session, I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And, I, and they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat. Guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. Well, his voice sounds so different. So, um, how is that different than what happened on the 6th of January that people are getting arrested for? And prosecute, by the way. <clears throat> is Joe Biden considered an insurrectionist? I guess not. He just there, says he's there by himself. But I don't know. That that's just a little. That's just a little weird, isn't it? Well, it is Joe. Did he re, didn't he get arrested in South Africa as well? And he got oh, thrown yeah. in the same cell with uh, Nelson Mandela <laughs> and yeah. Brian Williams. This is the new right. <clears throat> and AOC. So yeah. this I had never heard this claim until I saw this today. Had you heard this before, Rick? No, no. not until I saw it pop up on the uh, on the news. So Joe Biden says he was arrested for basically trespassing into the Capitol building and going into the chamber and sitting in the presiding officer's seat, which is the top seat there where the, where the Viking guy, the Viking guy was. <laughs> you mean the, the paid crisis actor? So, I mean, how is that? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess the audience could give me your thoughts on this. He says he was 21, so that was what, about 104 years ago? That's right about when he was uh, calling for segregation. (laughs) There's an an article about this, and it just says Joe Biden uh, claiming that he had been arrested at the age of 21 for trespassing in the Capitol, describing... A crime that is similar to those for which some participants in the January 6th Capitol riot currently face federal charges. <laughs> I wonder. So, I, I don't know, mean, I don't expect he's going to face. I mean, I don't know. It's just. If anything, anybody who's now been brought up on charges who walked in there be like, we're going to present this as evidence. I mean, they just established a precedent that you could be, uh, quote unquote, arrested and nothing happens to you. Well, his last boast about being arrested, as you pointed out, has clearly been proven to be false, right? Obviously, the whole, I mean, just just a bold-faced lie, which, of course, he does, he's been doing his whole career. Right. He's not plagiarizing, he's lying or making stuff up. I think he, I think he marched with, uh, what do you call it? Martin Luther King Jr. Yep. Down there, too, and got arrested. But the point where he says I was sitting in the presiding officer's chair, it's hard, like Paul said, not to think about the Viking guy. Well, that's exactly what he did. Joe Biden is like Forrest Gump. He was everywhere in American history. I think he took on Muhammad Ali and Zaire in 74 as well. I, I know he was a ping pong champion in, in the army. And yeah. I know he worked on the lieutenant. Remember Dan. when he scored that touchdown? Joe did, and he but just Alabama. kept running. He just <laughs> yeah. ran right out of the stadium. Right. I mean, just it's really just unbelievable. So, all right, a couple things I want to get to here. Um, let's go to the Sunday shows first before we go to today. Cut three. Jen Psaki went on uh, this week on ABC. 
<laughs> and uh, here's one of the questions she was asked, and here's her response. Roll it. I, I want to turn uh, to a, another controversy that, that raged this week. Uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, under fire for um, allegedly not being transparent uh, and misleading uh, on, on, his, uh, on his, the number of nursing home deaths in New York. Uh, last spring, President Biden cited Andrew Cuomo as the gold standard uh, for leadership during the pandemic. Take a listen. Your governor of New York's done one hell of a job. He, I think he's, he's sort of the gold standard. So now we've seen uh, that Governor Cuomo has allegedly undercounted nursing home deaths, misled legislators in New York, and he called uh, uh, New York Assembly um, in uh, Ron Kim uh, raising questions, um, uh, you know, ba- basically um, uh, threatening to destroy him, I think was his actual words. So does President Biden still consider Andrew Cuomo the gold standard when it comes to leadership on the pandemic? Well, John, we work with Governor Cuomo just like we work with governors across the country. He's also chair of the NGA. So uh, he plays an important role uh, in ensuring that we're coordinating closely and getting assistance out to people of his state and to states across the country. And we'll continue to do that. And there, of course, will be a process. The investigations will leave that to others to determine the appropriate law enforcement authorities to determine uh, how that path is going to move uh, as we look forward. But we are going to continue to work with a range of governors, including, of course, Governor Cuomo, because we think the people of New York, the people of states across the country uh, need assistance, uh, not just to get through the pandemic, but to get through this difficult difficult economic time. And that's that's where our focus remains. All right. But, Jen, my question was, does <laughs> President Biden still believe that Andrew Cuomo is the gold standard, represents the gold standard on leadership during this pandemic? Just a yes or no. Does well, he John, the, the, the president... The, pre- the president... Uh, well, it doesn't always have to be a yes or no answer, John. I think the president... No. And she went on to blabble for non- nonsense. <laughs> just I mean, won't answer it's a just, question. It's she just shameful. Simply won't answer a question. Yeah, it's just yeah. shameful. Will not answer the question. Now, if this was two, three years ago, and Kaylee McEnany was doing the same thing, what would happen? She gets savaged. But Jen Psaki goes on and doesn't answer the question. Doesn't even remotely come close to answering the question. Joe Biden has said nothing about Andrew Cuomo. Nothing. He has said nothing about the governor in Illinois who did the same thing. He has said nothing about the governors in other states. There's at least another five states that this happened in besides Cuomo in New York. Biden has said nothing about those deaths. So the hypocrisy of his speech tonight, again, nobody wants to have to talk about 500,000 people dead in any manner. But this guy said nothing about any of those governors in any of those states and on any of those deaths whatsoever. He's no leader on this. He has nothing new to offer on this. Nothing at all.
right, 30 minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B. Time to do some more news, and here with that is Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Just the news, the, there was a poll. China covering up, not cooperating, COVID-19 probe. Voters say by 5 to 1 ratio. They posed the question to the voters, has China cooperated with international authorities and provided all relevant information concerning the origin of the coronavirus? Or has China refused to provide information and access to the cover-up its own role in the origin of the pandemic. And, you know, China has cooperated 11%, right? It's always that same 11%, right, Rick Delgado? Yeah, <laughs> <Same> 11%. <laughs> and then uh, 55% say refuses information and, and access, and then there was 34% not sure. And, of course, they're not sure. The, the media won't speak honestly, so there's that. Um Dinesh D'Souza is talking about trying to put together an alternative online university system with a $5,000 yearly tuition, saying it could crush liberals' hold over higher education. The famed producer told John Solomon Reports podcast this weekend that the new college system should be part of a conservative effort to defeat cancel culture and censorship by building their own educational and entertainment infrastructures. He said a top-notch online education system was the key to the whole infrastructure. He also went out to say things along the lines that we need to build our own conservative forms of movies and, and programming and, and entertainment. And, uh, you know, he seems like he's, uh, you know, he's he, he's really proactive. There's a lot of guys in that in that space we could see uh, kind of moving into that direction. And then uh, also from Just the News, Far from Texas energy crisis, battle over solar energy in Montana raises similar concerns. A years-long battle over solar energy in Montana is raising concerns about consumer pricing and grid reliability in the shadows of an unexpected winter energy crisis in Texas. As Texas has experienced significant power loss over the past week with record low temperatures, Wind turbines freezing up. The struggle between green energy and fossil fuels has never been more apparent. And um, on Cheryl Atkinson's full measure after hours, she examined this, the power struggle in Montana, where the state Supreme Court has made a final decision regarding Northwest Energy and solar companies. So um, I think there's some interesting debates going on with that. And uh, you know, and then the last was I uh, the accountability se- section here. I just. Um, the uh, Biden's interior nominee failed to report earnings from casino income. And, uh, you know, President uh, Democratic Congresswoman named by President Biden to be the next interior secretary failed to disclose her House ethics report of 16000 in casino salary that made up more than a third of her income in 2018, where she won her first congressional seat, according to an amended report. So just once again, more, you know, more shadiness from the Biden committee so you know um cabinet excuse me okay um so a couple things here we'll get two things paul with the news um senator kennedy i have senator kennedy i have senator lee and i have josh holly with um merrick garland senator kennedy is an interesting cut one g let's hear a little bit of senator kennedy especially his last question about trying to save women's sports um merrick garland's answer is well, I guess to me it's stunning, but to him, he's, he's, he's well, again, hasn't really studied the issue. Uh, so here's a little bit of Senator Kennedy. Roll that. Would you have adopted a rule that said if one of our employees in the court gets coronavirus and goes to the hospital, 
and is treated and is released and wants to come back to work at the court, it would be discriminatory to ask them to take a coronavirus test. No. Okay. Isn't that what happened with a lot of our nursing homes throughout the country? You know, I honestly don't know what happened with the nursing homes. I don't know what they were doing with respect to, to uh, I'm sorry, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be evasive. Sure. I, really, I really don't know uh, the facts here. I mean, I, I think in, in, the, in the example you gave me, uh, there's nothing uh, discriminatory about asking uh, uh, people who might be infected um, from a public health point of view uh, to be sure they don't infect other people. Uh, and if a determination is made they're not infected, then, of course, that's the end of it. Um, equal treatment doesn't mean we don't take into consideration the possibilities of, of, of a, a, a different degrees of health in a particular circumstance. And I, don't, I honestly don't know um, what happened with the nursing home. I know that it was terrible that many people got uh, yeah. COVID in the, in the nursing homes, and it was a major vector of the spread of the infection. But, but I don't know why that was, except that there are people cooped up in one place, and, and it's easy to spread that way. All right. Um, I think science tells us that, that uh, keeping our schools closed has a disproportionate impact on, uh, on poor people and children in poor, from poor families and on uh, families including but not limited to children of color. At, at what point do you think our, 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 our refusal of some of our leadership in our schools to reopen becomes a civil rights violation? So Senator, I, I completely agree with your description of the consequences of the school closing. I, I, I tutor uh, 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 two children in, in, uh, in uh, a neighborhood of, the, of Washington, D.C., where most of the people, uh, students in the school are people of color. And uh, uh, I've been able to uh, tutor them by Zoom every week, uh, but they have, you know, and they're taking classes um, by Zoom. And uh, it's much more difficult, obviously, for them. Uh, although they've done terrifically, um, not because of me, but they have, um, than it would be with uh, people with other resources. Um, I'm sorry. You know, I, it's all right. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, public officials have to weigh very serious competing concerns with respect to how to deal with COVID. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, on the one hand, we have to be very uh, worried about uh, sending kids back in their schooling. And on the other hand, we have to be very worried about not um, spreading the disease in a way that uh, kills them or more importantly, uh, not more likely, their parents or their grandparents. And I, judgment. I, I don't want to be the person who makes that judgment. I understand. I, I get it. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I hate. No, no. I'm sorry. That. I interrupted you. I just we just have limited time. You have written in one of your opinions. I'm gonna read. I know you haven't memorized all of your opinions. Um, you said the Constitution quote does not contemplate that the district. District of Columbia, uh, may serve as a state for purposes of the apportionment of congressional representatives. That textual evidence is supported by historical evidence 
concerning the general understanding at the time of the district's creation. Is that still your considered opinion? Yes, and I would say that that is a case, one of my earliest cases, which uh, taught me what it means to be a judge, which is to do something the opposite of what you would do if you had uh, public policy concern. I think that citizens of the District of Columbia should be able to vote, but I didn't think that the Constitution gave me authority on my own uh, to give it to them. And it made me sad, but it, uh, it, it reaffirmed my role as a judge. Okay. Um, in my last 20 seconds, I'm gonna ask you if you agree with this statement. Uh, allowing, and I'm not suggesting the answer one way or the other, I just wanna know what you believe. Allowing biological males to compete in an all-female sport deprives women of the opportunity to participate fully and fairly in sports and is fundamentally unfair to female athletes. This is a very difficult societal question that you're asking here. I know what, what underlies it. I know, it. but uh, you're going to be attorney general. Oh, but uh, I, I may not be the one who has to make policy decisions like that, but it's not that I'm adverse to it. Look, I think every human being should be treated with dignity and respect. Um, and I, that's an overriding sense of my own character, but an overriding sense of what the law uh, requires. Um, um, this, the particular uh, question of how Title IX applies in schools is one, and in light of the Bostock case, which I know, I know you're very familiar with, is something that I would have to look at um, uh, when I have a chance to do that. I've not had the chance to consider these kinds of issues in my uh, career so far. But I agree that this is a difficult question. <laughs> well, it's only a difficult question <laughs> if you're insane. It's not a difficult question at all. So that's a little, that's like an encapsulation of the day. He gave a couple good answers. His answer on DC statehood, not, I mean, that's still his position. Seems that that's what he said. But then he gives an answer like that and he gives non answer on schools. And he says, he says a bunch of stuff on the schools that the science, follow the science, doesn't, doesn't support. But that's not a, that's, how is that a difficult societal question? I, I mean, it's a cop out. What he said was a cop-out. Because if, if Zion Williamson decided tomorrow, I'm going to be a girl, and you're going to accept me as such, and he's going to go to the WNBA, guess how many points a game he's going to score? All of them. Yes. Of course. <laughs> he's going to have all the points. It, it won't even be close. Yeah. But in some <sighs> respects, um, I mean, certainly that's detrimental. And you're talking about a professional level. I, I would have more concerns about some – a girl who's spent her whole life in high school yeah. being the track star and needs to get the scholarship because her parents can't afford it or they can't whatever to get to school and can't get there because she, you know, to me, that's much more detrimental. Well, yeah. And, and when we discussed this a few weeks ago, I was going through some of the time, the differences in times and it's, it's staggering. It's staggering. Yeah. yeah. It, because it's chunks of time. It, it's not even close. It's not fair. Nope. So yeah, Rick, right? You were a highly competitive college runner. Yeah, high school See, and college. Let's be honest. And, and if I decided, if this was around when I was, and I decided, you know what, I want that D one scholarship. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm a girl. Guess what? I'd win every race by thirty seconds easily. I would for just a mile. love to see someone make a mockery of some guy with a big beard and tattoos. High school kids, just as masculine as it gets, just make a mockery of it all. 
Some kids are doing that. Look at, look at, I think it was, uh, what was it? Massachusetts or Connecticut had that issue. Where the, these kids, these, you know, boys that said they were girls, you could tell they were developed as young men. And they were just killing these girls in the sprints. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to cover, but I don't have the clip and we don't have the time on Merrick Garland, was he was asked about the federal courthouse in Portland as opposed to the Capitol January 6th riots. And it seemed to me that he said he wasn't sure if attacking the Portland courthouse, federal courthouse on federal land, was a crime because it was done at night as opposed to the federal uh the capital which he said well this they were actively at work um he didn't think that was domestic terrorism in portland because there was no one in the courthouse right it happened at night that happened at night that was the differentiating line he drew when it came to the law which um i don't know seems strange seems like a strange answer some sports here with that is Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, D. Well, unbeaten Gonzaga. Baylor remained top a uh, AP top twenty-five in uh, quiet week in AP sports. Uh, Gonzaga's bid for a wide wire run at number one keeps chugging along. Baylor is still right there with the Zags. Uh, Gonzaga uh, actually blew out San Diego, and I misinformed you, Big D. I said San Diego State was the game on Saturday, but it actually was San Diego who isn't as good as State, and they they beat him one hundred six to sixty nine. So Gonzaga is really looking good with 61st place votes. And uh, right now in the uh, NHL, just a couple of games that have wrapped up and gone final. Panthers over the Stars, 2-1. to one. Flames over the Maple Leafs, 3-0. The Lightning, 4-2 to two over the Hurricanes. The Islanders on a late goal at 15-08 of the third period by J.G. Pajot beat the Sabres 3-2. to two. And right now, the end of two, the Kings are up over the Blues, 1-0. Golden Knights and Avalanche just getting started in the first period, nothing, nothing. And Ducks lead the Coyotes, 2-0. That's uh, at the end of one. NBA action, just a few games going on there. Uh, right now, we have the Bulls leading the Rockets 86-65 to in the third. Zach Levine leads all scorers with 21 points for the Bulls. Uh, Mavericks over the Grizzlies, 54-36. That's at the half. Thunder are up by two over the Heat. That's in the second. And uh, right now, the Jazz are taking care of the Hornets 44-39 in the second. Wizards visit the Lakers out at the Staples Center. That tips off at 10 p.m. tonight. Uh, back to the rodeo. Big D. Uh, Georgia National Rodeo uh, wrapped up this weekend. Perry, Georgia. The Reeves Arena. Bareback. 
Uh, number one was Wyatt Denny on cold front clouds. He scored an 88. Saddle Bronc was right or right, right or right on Red Horse Crossing, 84 and a half. Bull riding, Josh Frost can't be touched with an 84. Steer wrestling was Shane Frey in 4.5 seconds. Team roping, Jagur, Terrell, and Sid Spora, 4.7 seconds. And tie down, Riley Pruitt, 7.1 seconds. And bow racing held up over the weekend. Tiani Schuster, 15.75 seconds. Also continuing through the com- this coming Saturday is the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. We'll have a report on that, but I'm not going to talk about that till next Monday. <laughs> Saturday night, Showtime Boxing, Adrian Brana over Giovanni Santiago. I'm going to get into that a little bit. Scores were close, 115, 112, 116, 111, and 117. 110. Scores were close, but not for the judges, but the Showtime people and Rick Amorati. I think that uh, Mr. Santiago <laughs> gave Mr. Brana quite the fight, and uh, I don't know if he won that fight. It wasn't really too too fair, I thought. Um, I watched that whole thing, and uh, I actually think the young man won. He was 14-0. and 0. He lost his day, and he lost his undefeated record, and now Brana's back in contention. Brana's last big fight was a decision he lost in January of 19 to Manny Pacquiao. So, well, what, to- was your, uh, what was your scorecard? Oh, my score was one one. Why was that one eighteen one ten? That was about one eighteen one ten. He he handled them, no doubt. And 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 he had a point that was deducted. But I still I think the kid really just won every round except maybe two. It was amazing. So wait, you had one eighteen one ten. I don't know if that's that, that one eighteen one eleven one eleven. And the judges had the opposite. Uh, judges had yeah they had the opposite one seventeen one seventeen one ten uh, and uh, one eighteen one eleven and uh, one was one fifteen one thirteen I wish I could kind of see that score but the other scores were just off the chart and uh, Showtime actually they uh, they had it, uh, the score similar to mine so and one more thing Big D uh, NHL news our Timmy Panarin to take leave of absence from the Rangers after a political hit piece against him from Russia this was reported by Aaron Walsh a yard barker earlier this evening. Artemi Panarin will reportedly take a leave of absence from the New York Rangers in the aftermath of a political hit piece against him from Russia, alleging that he beat up an 18-year-old girl in the country in 2011, according to Larry Brooks of the New York Post. Panarin recently voiced his opinion against Russian President Vladimir Putin, and in support of his opposition, Alexei Navalny, in an Instagram post, he has been outspoken against Putin for a long time. In a 2019 interview, Panarin ripped Putin by saying, I think he no longer understands what's right and what's wrong among other things. According to Molly Walker of the New York Post, the allegations against Panarin are coming from former NHL and KHL coach Andre Nazarov. So, uh, you know, Panarin signed an $81.5 million seven-year contract with the Rangers. He is their top player, and uh, so the Rangers lose their player, and uh, yeah, a little bit of politics there, so Panarin's got to take a take a break. I guess he's nervous about, about playing, you know? I guess he's, the moral of the story is don't uh, don't talk about the virus in uh, in jump out of a hospital window or make fun of Putin Yeah, if you have any Russian connections yeah. because it's not good. I, I think he's going to, if he ever goes to Russia, he's going to stay in somebody's basement. He's certainly not going to go on the first, second, third floor. That's for sure. Yeah, he's and, in the um, witness protection program right now. Exactly. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D. Thank you. Okay. Very good. We'll get to uh, a little more news here in a second, but do either of you or any of you on the show know who Anna Eshu is or Jerry McNerney? And ever heard those names? Gonna say no. Those are two Democratic members of Congress who are pressuring. Now, they were all worried when Trump was, he's a dictator, he's an authoritarian, we gotta be careful with this guy. Um, now that they're in the majority, these two members of Congress wrote the following letter uh, to the t- TV providers. Um, 
They have a bunch of questions. Here's their final question. Are you planning to continue carrying Fox News, Newsmax, OAN on UVerse, DirecTV, AT&T TV, both now and beyond any contract renewal date? If so, why? This is two Democratic members of Congress asking the executives at the TV's stations, DirecTV, AT&T, who owns that, if they're going to keep on conservative news outlets. And if so, if you're going to extend their contracts, why? Hello? That's, uh, let's see. I'm thinking uh, it sounds constitutional. You know, um, Congress shall make no law infringing uh, uh, freedom of speech, I believe. The, the part that has to get you is when they say, if, if so, what? why? Does that have to be explained? Of course it does. To them, it does. Because they're fanatics. They're activists. They're not really representing the people. Have you ever taken any actions against a channel for using your platform to disseminate any disinformation? These are two members, Democratic members of Congress. Have they tuned into MSNBC lately? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean I could, the questions here are, it's just. Well, you see, you see, this is, this is how they're going to go about doing it because they want to shut down free speech. They don't like free speech. If, if there's free speech, that means people will have the opportunity to know the truth. They can't do it themselves, right? So what do they do? Hey, let's go after the companies and let's have the companies shut them down for us. It's the same way they did with, uh, with big tech. Why do, you think, why do you think Facebook and Twitter and all those are shutting everybody down? Because they said, hey, you know, it'd be, it'd be, real, it'd be a real problem, you know, if, if you got called into Congress and we had to make legislation, so you might want to do this. What steps did you take prior to and on the following in the November 3rd election and the January 6th attacks to monitor, respond to, reduce the spread of disinformation? Now... I wonder if these two bozos have written a letter to Nancy Pelosi saying, what the hell did you know when did you know it? Or to Mitch McConnell if they don't want to do it to their own leader. Of course not. They're interested in talking to AT&T DirecTV to see what they're going to do about conservative news outlets. That's their interest. Shutting you down. It's just, I mean, it just, it never ends, these people. And what's amazing is that it was Fox, the decision desk, that the others were relying on. How about Cherokee Nation? Doesn't stop there. Cherokee Nation's Chuck Hoskins Jr. doesn't think Jeep should uh, call that car a Cherokee anymore or a Grand Cherokee. That's a true story. True story. Yep. It never ends. <laughs> it just never ends. If you're going to offer a contract extension, if so, why? That's their question. The TV outlets. Why are you allowing them to broadcast? We like money. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, Sheet. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to Real America's Voice. Most of all, thanks to you, the live from Studio 6B audience. We're back with you tomorrow night. Back with you in 22, 8 p.m. tomorrow night. Right here, Real America's Voice. See you then.